0: Church, it's been 12 months, 365 days, 52 sermons later, that we get to celebrate Easter together in the same building. Happy Easter, Rockingham Christian Church. Yes, it is, it is uh, overwhelming right now. And I'm um, told I'm not allowed to cry, so I'll keep moving on. Uh, what a gift it is to physically be in the same space, to get up early, get our kids ready for church, go to a space that has memories of warmth and love and community and family. I want to welcome everyone here on campus, whether it's the first time here uh, or this is your regular church that you attend, as well as everyone that's watching online. So grateful that everyone could be here to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Christ uh, we are closing out our three-week teaching series on Romans chapter six today, uh, called "Life After Death," and we're sort of uh, we're sort of talking about this reality that according to Jesus, you can experience life after death before the funeral home. Believe it or not, Jesus talks about life uh, being sort of not divided, but in three different categories. Number one, he says that life is quantitative. Everybody gets a certain amount of days, some more, some less, which is so uh, intuitive and wise of the writer of Psalm 90 when he says, "Uh, teach me to number my days that I may gain of heart of wisdom. Don't let me waste my time here on earth with things and people that you know, really don't matter, or arguments that really don't matter, and, and things that, that put, me, put, put me down. Now, the third thing that got Jesus killed, and um, uh, he, he had to answer a lot of questions, is this, is that life never ends because life, according to Jesus, is eternal. And the quantitative, qualitative, and eternal life that Jesus is talking about, you are all experiencing right now. It's kind of trippy, right? Now, the jury's out on whether people believe that life happens beyond the grave. Uh, uh, Pretty famous uh, atheist Stephen Hawking said this, Hawking said this, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife or broken down computer. Is he telling the truth? Is he telling the truth? Did Jesus come (laughs) to give quantitative, qualitative, and eternal life to those who follow him. Yes, we've talked about how life after death begins with a new beginning when we come out of the waters of baptism and we're we're given new desires, a new heart to do uh, life differently. Today, we're going to talk about how life after death gives us a new hope through the death burial in resurrection, I hope you brought your Bibles. If not, at least an iPhone. Uh, go with me, open or type in Romans chapter six. We'll be in verses uh, five through ten this morning. Here's how Paul describes our hope uh, when we experience life after death in Romans uh, chapter six. He says this: For we have been united with him, in a de- we've been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly. Uh, also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone, notice that qualifying statement, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he now lives uh, to God. Number one, church, that the resurrection is an invitation or invites us into a new hope. And Paul tells us how we how we do that in verse 5 and 6. We have been united. Notice the language here. We've been united with him in his death. We'll certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Uh, Paul uses, like a lot of writers in the New Testament, uh, farming language here. When Paul writes the phrase, we'll be united with Jesus in his death, and his resurrection, it's, it's it's this farming idea of grafting. And grafting is simply a technique in which tissues from plants, two different plants, are joined together so that they can continue in their health and their growth. Being united with Christ is a mutual yielding into one life. Now we know, or at least we believe, as Christ followers, through the death, burial, and resurrection, God has already moved to us. The question is, do we want to move towards Christ? I'm not asking you if you attend church, because you're here. I'm not asking you if you do any other set of religious things. I'm asking you, do you want to die to yourself and be invited into the greatest adventure and spiritual journey you will ever experience this side of of heaven, Jesus talks about this actually in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. He says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You already uh, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, abide in me, graft yourself into me as I also have grafted and remain, kind of an interesting idea, uh, as I remain in you. Jesus says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. How many of us have tried to make life happen? How many of us have tried to to work hard, to, to be moral, to be a nice Christian male or female? We've worked really hard, and yet Jesus is obliterating that idea. No branch by yourself can bear fruit. You must be grafted into the vine. You must be grafted into me. You must abide in me. You must learn to journey with me. Jesus is an in, invitational kind of God. No, notice in the New Testament how he wants us to experience him. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you uh, fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Follow me, he told them, and Matthew got up and followed him. And in John 10, Jesus says, my, my sheep, the church, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they... Follow me. The resurrection is an invitation into a new hope that we don't have to wait for to see if <laughs> to see if the pastor or Paul or Jesus is telling the truth. That reality begins right now. We're living in the tension of the right now and the not yet. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough to live in that tension, and yet this is the tension we're living in that we can experience life after death right now. It's an invitation to you. And you've already read the label in Romans 6. If anyone, anyone dies to sin, Surely they are free. The second aspect of this invitation that Paul talks about in verse six is that we know that our old self was crucified with him. So the Bible talks about this idea of it's a major theme in the, in the Bible. I don't have time to get into it that deeply here. But this old man and this new man, or the old woman, the new, the new woman, the, the, old, the old Adam, and Jesus is the new Adam. In other words, because sin. Because Jesus has conquered sin, death, and Satan, sin has no mastery over him uh, anymore. And if you are a Jesus follower, the same is true for you. Jesus did not just go to the cross and was obliterated in front of his mother and his friends just because he likes you in a nice Hallmark card. He had to crucify himself to obliterate your sin nature. Come on, don't get it twisted, right? Right? We've been alive longer than a day, right? It's been a hard year. Why don't you reward yourself? A little more alcohol, a little more uh, you know, journeying on, on your iPhone when everyone else is asleep. <laughs> Jesus came <laughs> because your sin is impacting your life more than you want to admit, more than I want to admit. And Paul is talking about this idea that when Jesus goes to the cross, he is murdering <laughs> your old man, your old woman, your old way of doing life. Now, Ben, that sounds great, but you sound like every other pastor, like a pie in How do I do this? Glad you asked. Paul says in Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former self or your old man, the old woman, the old way of doing life, put off your old self. Stop wearing those clothes. Stop having that perspective. Stop doing your marriage that way. Stop doing relationships that way. Stop interacting on social media the old way that you used to do it, for likes and follows and shares. And if somebody doesn't like your post within 37.4 seconds, you take it down. I was a youth pastor for a decade. To be made new in the new attitude of your mind and put on the new self created to be like God. We're not God, but like God in true righteousness and in holiness. So where do I go? Where do I go if if I'm two plants in Paul's analogy? I'm a plant, and Jesus is a plant, and we're cutting away and merging together. Where do I go to do that? Get, you know, give me give me the I'm brass text. Just just spit it out, Ben. Great answer. Baptism, baptism is where you go to merge your. Uh, to, to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection in the waters of baptism. That's what Romans 6 is all about, verses 3 and 4. Don't you know, right? This is basic 101. In other words, Christians, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were what? Baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Oh here's a good stuff. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too. We too may live a new life. You want to graft your life into Christ? You want the the your life in Christ to become one where Jesus isn't just your savior but your lord? You need to be baptized. Paul says that's where you go to get grafted into the family of God. And I know that we all come from different denominations. This is not a baptism of when you're a baby. This is a baptism of when you can cognitively decide if you want or don't want to follow Jesus. If you do want to follow Jesus, always nine times, or that's, that's a lie, 10 times out of 10 in the New Testament, the first response to someone saying, I want to follow Jesus, how do I communicate that? Get baptized. It's all over the book of Acts, my friends. In baptism, We receive that invitation for that new hope, that cutting away, that Paul says in Colossians, a cutting away of the old self, the sinful nature, so that we could be grafted into the beautiful righteousness and grace of our heavenly Father. The resurrection is an invitation to a new hope, and it's it's a security. It it secures our new hope. Look at verse 7. Here's what Paul says in verse 7. He says this, anyone, anyone. That's, that's the label the Bible has anyone. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Freedom is a very interesting word. This is loaded with two beautiful uh, Easter uh, resurrection, crucifixion concepts. We are free uh, on the one hand in our justification, and on the other hand in our sanctification. What does justification mean, Ben? You're losing me. Justification means is we are free from the penalty of our sin. In other words, you commit a crime this week and uh, you get a good defense attorney, but honestly, the charges you're looking at twenty to life, no possibility of parole. Trial happens three, four weeks go later. It's all over social media. You're embarrassed. All this stuff. Everyone's saying whether you did it or not. The verdict is rendered guilty of murder in the first degree. And your heart just drops and you know the next day you have to show up in front of the judge for your sentencing. And you're hoping, well you wish you took the plea deal, but you're hoping that maybe it can just be 20 years and not 20 to life without the possibility of of of, uh, of parole of getting out of prison. And so the judge says you've been found guilty of the crimes of which you've been charged but your penalty, your time served in prison has already been served on your behalf by somebody else. That's justification. God is not a chump. God isn't like, no, well, you tried. No. God tells us our sin has found us guilty. And yet in the gospel the true in why I'm a Christian uh, personally that separates itself from all other world religions uh, is that our God serves our life sentence without the possibility of parole on our behalf. Now Paul says it this way, the wages of sin is what death. Sin is a life sentence without parole apart from God. But what does the second half of that verse say? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We are found guilty of our sin, and yet we are justified because Jesus died on the cross on our behalf. We do not have to pay the penalty of our sin. And yet, let me ask you to be introspective. How much of your life have you wasted trying to justify yourself? Right? Overbearing mom, overbearing dad. Uh, you, you, you know, you, thankfully you got out of a really bad marriage, uh, whatever it is, but it left you thinking, I need to prove myself. I need to prove myself so I, I can be someone that somebody wants to marry. I need to prove myself so I can be a student that when I post online, I'm going to get the most likes out of anyone in my class. I'm going to get the most shares. My videos are going to go viral. I don't even care if you like this sermon because who I am, is not a pastor. Who I am is justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are too. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. But my justification is not in how well I perform for our church, nor is it how well you perform at home, at, at your job, in your parenting, at school, with your friends. Stop trying to justify yourself. The gospel has already done that through the person of Jesus. Who cares if nobody else likes you? Who cares? We're soft, church. We're soft. Our identity has to be in the person and work of Christ. We have been free from the penalty of sin. Nobody can touch us. Nobody can touch us. Let's live resurrected lives through the rest of the year. Here's the second part of freedom is our sanctification. What does that word mean? It means this. We're not only free from the power of sin, but we're also free from the penalty of our sin. We're free from the power of our sin. Paul rightly says that sin no longer has mastery over Jesus. Jesus could have sinned at any time in his his life. He has free will. He could have prayed that prayer in, in Gethsemane and said, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Actually, I don't really want to be crucified for a bunch of people who will kind of half-heartedly follow me or never follow me at all, right? But that's not, that's not what Jesus did, right? He went to the cross on our behalf, and because he did that, he dominated the power of sin in your life. Ben, stop it right there. I'm probably going to yell at my kids today, if not this week. Okay, there's a difference between sinning. Listen, church, there's a difference between sinning and delighting in your sin. Right? We're not talking about delighting in your sin. We're talking about in our sanctification, every single day we're becoming more and more like a picture of Jesus. I swear I had coffee with Andrew that 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 family minister at RCC, but when I left like I think I talked to Jesus because the way he moves and, and his boundaries and the way he handles himself, in the I, I, think, I think that might have been Jesus that I've been talking to. The goal of our sanctification is that our affections for Christ will grow every single day. And that happens when we're united with Christ. We're yielding our lives into his. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We are being transformed. We're being sanctified. We're being developed. We're being mature in our faith. We're growing in our faith into Jesus's image with, ever, with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our hope in the resurrection is secure because Jesus is our justification and our sanctification. And our Heavenly Father approved that sacrifice on the cross because, and we know that that, uh, that offering was approved by our Heavenly Father because He allowed Jesus to be uh, risen from the dead. Thirdly and finally, my friends, the resurrection reframes what is, or I think what should be, what is meaningful to us. Here's how He closes out this section of Scripture If we died with Christ, we believe, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now, here's what you need to lean into, church. Uh, Paul says, we believe that we will live with him. All right, Paul's, Paul's trying to be a prophet. Uh, Paul hasn't died yet. So it's kind of you know, you know what I'm saying? Why can somebody say we believe that one day we will also live with Jesus? It's because of our sanctification. We are growing every single day to trust Christ. We are stopping try to, <clears throat> trying to make life happen on our terms. We're giving up and releasing control in our relationships, in our marriage, at work, so that we can be grafted into Christ the family of God. It's an aggressive everyday, daily grind to remember that we've been grafted in to God's family church. And that's why Paul says, we believe that one day we too will also live with him. Jesus finally conquered sin, Satan, and death. And Christ's resurrection is in a category by itself this is our living hope. This is our life after death, a new beginning in the waters of baptism, uh, a new heart and new uh, emotions. And now we have a new hope, an invitation that is secure and reframes how we think the world because of Jesus's death, his burial, his resurrection, and us being grafted in and united into the family of God. Um, Let me ask you something, friends. If you've never um, been grafted in, to use the language that Paul's using here, and if you've never publicly said, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be baptized, I'm not talking about if you were baptized as a child or, or or baby dedications or anything like that, but you consciously want to make a decision. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be grafted in. I want the hope of the resurrection. I want the old man or the old woman to be obliterated. I would just ask you to do one thing today, and that is to simply pull out your phones and text the word towards to the 10-digit number on the screen. I'll also be back um, in the, um, the hub area in the lobby on your way out. I'd be happy to talk to you. We we want to help you begin your journey with Jesus or even deepen your journey with Christ. That's what we're about here uh, at RCC. And, and I hope that you would take that next step in your journey to, to go public with your faith, to be grafted in and united uh, into the family of God through... Ne- has nothing to do with you in your performance evaluations. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of our God, our Lord and Savior Jesus, uh, let's pray, Church. Jesus, thank you so much for the hope that is the resurrection. That through your death, uh, death, burial, and resurrection, we can have new life. We have been grafted into the family of God. And when we came back, when we came back to the courtroom to hear our sentence. And the judge said, you have been found guilty, but someone has paid your penalty on your behalf. That courtroom turned into an adoption ceremony in a heartbeat. And we've been adopted into your family. We've been grafted into your family. Lord, I pray if anyone is watching online or here on campus that has not... um, made their faith public through the waters of baptism, uniting themselves with your death, burial, and resurrection, that they would do that this Easter and begin a new journey uh, with you in 2021. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.